Father, once again we are here in your presence for the ministry of the word. And all your people, wherever they are, Lord, gathered in their homes, different nations, we come to you as one in spirit. Surrender our bodies, our soul, our spirit into thy hands and we pray, Lord, speak to us. Continue to teach us during this season you have given us. It's a season of fear for the world, but a season of quietness for your people. We will be still in your presence and allow God to speak to us, minister to us, prepare us. For with you, each day only gets better. Because you're preparing us for our heavenly bridegroom, Lord. So in the inner man, it can only get better. So minister to us, Lord. Help us to be always willing and obedient when your spirit impresses the word in our hearts. Speak, Father, this night. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We are with uh, Rebecca and Eliezer, but uh, before we go there, let's look at Isaiah 60, and verses 1 to 3. Because we have to learn to look at everything with different eyes, the eyes which God has to open for us. We don't see with our carnal, physical eyes, we see with eyes of faith. And scripture says there, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. This, there are two realities here. The first reality is the physical reality of the world. And terrible, if you look at verse 2 again, thick Darkness is covering the earth, darkness, and the people. People are really, no really, I mean, let's say 95% of the people live day to day. And uh, it's affecting everybody except that one person which holds most of the money in the world. The rest of them are struggling and it's fear if they do not know, if you really, really do not know Christ. Fear has gripped the hearts of his people, but it should not grip the hearts of his children. Because scripture says, his glory will be seen upon you. And I believe this is the greatest opportunity for the church. Once again, I'm telling you, the greatest opportunity for the church. And if we make use of this opportunity to be still before God as individuals, children, families, we, the church should come out. I'm not talking about GDC. I'm talking about the church of Christ should arise out of this glorious, stronger than ever before. And uh, I believe this is a season of preparing the church. And when the season is over, God will also use the church to bring in uh, incredible, probably the end time harvest. There is an end time harvest too. So we look forward to that. <clears throat> so that's the target of our preaching is to the believing church. We, we target our word to those who are saved and uh, we see this journey that she is making, Rebecca is making a picture of the church 
Remember, the journey to Isaac, that is Jesus Christ for us, Rebecca, it's Isaac. Only one person can take us to Isaac. In her case, only Eliezer. In our case, only the Holy Spirit can take us. Like only Jesus knew the way to the Father because he had come from the Father's bosom. In John chapter 1 and verse 18. John 1, 118. <clears throat> no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Only Christ. So there are so many who have come and declared themselves to be God-men or God-women or whatever. But it's only one who has come from God. The only God. And that's the Father. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father. So in the same manner, like Christ is the only one who can take us to the Father. When he ascended, he sent his spirit who would save us, prepare us. And guide us home. Only his spirit can take us home. Please remember, no man can take us home. No pastor, no prophet, no evangelist, nobody. Only the Holy Spirit can take us home. So in John chapter 7 and verse 8, 38 to 39, that's how we spiritually understand the ministry of Eliezer. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now what is he talking about? Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So as long as Jesus was here and his work was not finished and he was not glorified in heaven, the Holy Spirit was not released. But once he was glorified, the Holy Spirit has been released. And now, it's the Holy Spirit that takes us. So if you look at John chapter 14, I'm just putting the premise about how we understand Eliezer ministry. John 14, verse 16 and 17. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Okay, he's the helper, another, just like Jesus, that Jesus, when he was with them, he was with them through it all, to be with you forever. And he is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And in Romans 8, and verse 15 and 16, this is the spirit of the Father. I will ask the Father, and he will send the spirit of the Father. This spirit of the Father is the one which breaks the bond of slavery in our lives. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So when all these things happen, don't fall back into fear. For you have the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is the Holy Spirit alone that can cause us to cry, Abba, Father. That's our inward witness. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is the ministry of Eliezer. Okay? This is all what the Holy Spirit does. Okay, And then when we come to 14 and verse 26, John 14 and verse 26, 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, okay, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance 
all that I have said to you. So always rely on the Holy Spirit, the spiritual Eliezer, whom the Father has sent in Jesus' name, so that the church can be prepared and taken back to the Father and to Jesus to teach us all things. We don't need to know everything in this world, but we need to know all the things God has for us. Okay? And that also could differ from person to person when it comes to our personal work for God on earth. It will differ. Okay? So let him teach us all things. So this should be our prayer. Spirit of God, teach me all things. And also, Lord, you know I am fragile. My mind forgets. So, Lord, please keep bringing me to my remembrance, the things you have spoken to me. I tend to forget. We also forget a lot of things, but it is stored in a data bank. And when we need it, Lord, bring it. Like, you know, I forget. So if you look at today's notes, you will find very funny. Every page in the front, you will see at the top, it is written, okay. Which means, when I listen to my messages, I hear, I say, okay, okay, so many times. So it is written there, stop saying, okay, in the middle of every two sentences. I will, if I don't write it, I will forget. And I will keep saying, okay, 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 okay. Now I already said enough for the whole message, okay? So I have to write there, remember, stop saying, okay. okay. But our Holy Spirit will remind us these things, that whatever we forget, he, you have to go to him. He is the Spirit of the Father, who has been sent to us in the name of Jesus, that the three are working together in preparing the bride for Isaac. Then if you come to John chapter 16, verses 7 onwards, 7 to 11, actually, you will again see Jesus talking about the Spirit of God. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if you do not go away, the helper will not come to you. He will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Remember, this verse 8 is important. This is the threefold work of the Holy Spirit, primary, big picture. He does and he should do in our day, in our life, every day. Every day he should that work. He convicts me of sin. Okay, convicts me of sin. Two, he shows me the righteousness that is available in Jesus and shows me I don't have to fear judgment. You're not going to lose anything. Okay, you don't, I'm not going to lose anything. You are each day that preparation, only the Holy Spirit. So never ever neglect the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the threefold primary work of the Holy Spirit. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. So we have to constantly battle unbelief in our life. It's a constant battle. Because this, when we look at all these things, we are always battling unbelief. Like, when will the church gather again? Right? When will the church gather again? Like I'm talking into like we as pastors saying, when will we be able to meet all? When will we gather? No, always praying, Lord, all the people from the smallest to the oldest, let them all stay safe. Nothing should happen. Lord, let there be a divine name, even if they, like, you know, like Paul is talking about, if I can add up to the sufferings of Christ, you know, the atonement, but we all say that if can fill up the unbelief of the rest of the body, Lord, they may not believe. So, Lord, let me uphold them in our prayers by faith. Let them have that belief in that immunity from this sickness. Let no one be touched, oh God. So, constantly, the biggest sin we have to fight every day is the fight of the battle of unbelief 
concerning everything that pertains to life to God because they do not believe in me that God is able to save us to the uttermost concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. I never have to worry about my righteousness because I know he's gone to the Father and even though I do not see him, I know he's standing, sitting by the right hand side of the Father and is forever interceding for me and that I have an advocate. The difference is now I don't have to worry at all. Just allow the Spirit of God and the Father, the Son to do their work in my life. But one day when he's seated on the Bhima seat of Christ, you will see there is no advocate. Nobody. You stand there alone. There is no accuser. There is no advocate. It's just you one-on-one with God. And everything will be open there. So right now, God says you have an advocate. That day, there is no advocate. There is no advocate. Everything is there before God. So God says, don't worry about that. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So you don't worry about that. Sin has been judged. The ruler of the world has been judged. So don't fear him. Don't worry about the penalty of sin. Be concerned about the power of sin. Yeshua has taken care of one. Now let Emmanuel help you with the other. You shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's the Holy Spirit. How do you experience the Spirit of God now? Has Emmanuel. That's what the Bible is talking about. How we understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Then in John chapter 16, verse 12, same chapter, 12 to 13, he will tell them, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them out. So Christ has so many things to tell all of us, but we cannot handle it now. We cannot handle it now. And you know, what does that mean? It means revelation is progressive. It is set here, but it is progressive. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. He will never, never speak on his own authority. For whatever he hears, he will speak. Whatever Jesus heard, he spoke. And now whatever the Spirit hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. So he says, he will reveal only what we can take and understand. Which is like, you know, that's why the same word will go forth. And people understand it differently. Because the Spirit of God is the one who reveals it to us. And he knows each one what he can understand. He knows my mind better than I know my mind. He knows my spirit, how much I have grown better than I know. So he will keep on leading us. So revelation is progressive. But we do not add to the word of God. Revelation of the word of God is progressive. And he will declare to the things that are coming. And in verse 14, we need to realize he will glorify me. And every revelation that we receive from the Holy Spirit, look into it. If it's from the Holy Spirit, it glorifies Jesus Christ. It does not glorify man. It glorifies Jesus Christ. That is the key of the Holy. Whenever Jesus brought forth a revelation in his ministry, it glorified the Father. And whenever the Holy Spirit brings forth a revelation, it glorifies Jesus Christ. That is how the Holy Spirit works. And then before leaving and after he rose again, again, Luke 24 and 49, you will see, he will tell them, again he tell them 
one more primary work of the Holy Spirit, 2449. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from high. He says, no, not only is he a counselor, a teacher who will be with you all the time, there is one more thing he will do. And you have to be ready for that continuously. He will clothe you with power from on high. You need power too. Counsel alone is not enough to walk this walk. It is not enough. You can have the best counselor in the whole world without the power to follow that counsel. Right? You, you, it simply doesn't work. And that's what he's saying. You will be clothed with power from on high. And when you come to Acts chapter 1, 4 and 5, and then words say, the same thing is repeated just before he leaves. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so they've been born of the Spirit. He's telling them, now that's not enough. You're going to be endured, clothed with power from above. And verse 8, and when that happens, he says, you will receive the power to witness me. We're not talking about just outward ministry. It's talking about life. You will receive the ministry to witness my life. Jesus received power. We, till 30, we don't see Jesus. At 30, when he steps forward, he receives the power to witness the life of the Father. And after that, he could boldly say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And the church will receive the power to witness Christ. Remember, power to witness Christ. So all these things are part of Rebecca's journey to Isaac. Not, we are not talking about Rebecca here. We are not saying any of these things happened with Rebecca. But as a picture, we are talking about Rebecca as the church going to Christ Jesus. What happened in the journey of Rebecca to Isaac? It's very interesting. If you go to Genesis 24, verse 61 and 62. Like if you look at Haran, if that is the actual location, they have located it to modern day Turkey. Turkey to Israel. It's a long journey by foot, by camel. In the camel, is not a fast animal. And nobody would keep put a girl on a camel and make the camel run. Nobody, okay? It goes slowly. <laughs> okay. Rebecca had her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. And verse 62, now Isaac came. Two verses, the entire journey is only in two words. She left and he got up. In between of weeks and months, we do not know. Nothing is mentioned. It is left to be revealed in the new covenant what the Holy Spirit does with the church. A 2,000 year journey is given in two verses. She rose and he walked towards her. That's all. Okay. If you would like to hear all the details, God says no. <laughs> this is not about Rebecca and Isaac. You don't want to know the details where all they stopped and where all they cooked and where all they know. You don't want to know all that. That is not the detail. The detail is spiritual. The spiritual detail is the story of the church. So we are on the way. Please remember, we are on the way to a person and to a place. A person first, Christ Jesus, and to a place. That's why the Bible says, keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. 
We don't have to go there. If you have been following us, we have spoken that so many times. Hebrews 12.2 and Hebrews 3.1. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. That's the eye of your mind. Not your eyes, physical eyes. The eye of your mind. Your your focus is on the person of Christ. And Colossians 3.1 and 2. We don't have to go there. Think about the things that are above. Pertaining to Christ and to that place. And on the way, journey, keep talking to Eliezer. Because he alone knows Isaac. And he knows him well. Knows him well. Eliezer knows Isaac well. So talk to Eliezer. The Holy Spirit will reveal Christ to us. And we have to, in this journey, we have to constantly be willing and open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot truly love and serve and live with somebody you do not know. He will reveal Jesus to us. It's difficult, honestly, to love now and serve somebody. Be prepared to love and serve somebody you really do not know. And it's the Holy Spirit who will prepare the church, the bride during this journey. And then, then if it happens, the work of the Holy Spirit is completed before we die or He comes. Then Revelation 14, 1. We've seen that also. I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 100. So you will be standing with him. You will be able to stand one with him. And verse 4, the journey the Holy Spirit took, he purified. These are the ones who were not defiled with women for their way. You started this theological journey, a walk, spiritual walk with the Spirit of God. By the time you finish, you have been made chased, spiritually chased. All the defilements have been taken away and you are able to follow the lamp wherever he goes. There are differences. I mean, you know, I, when I use illustrations to, when I teach in other places, I will say, imagine my, imagine my home. Let's think about me and my wife and my children. Okay, my children can come with me to many places where I go. There are certain places where I go, they cannot come. The bedroom is shut, the bathroom is shut. But there is one place my wife is allowed to come anywhere. Anywhere. Only one person is allowed to come anywhere. And there is something, he follows the lamp wherever he goes. Okay? And that's what the Bible is talking about. About the bride. So you have to get all these pictures what the Bible is talking about. So, you are with him. You are following him. And then there is another picture John sees. And he's trying to explain to us. But we have to understand that spiritually. In Revelation uh, 20, 22. 2022. No, 21-22. 20, 20 is judgment, right? I saw no temple in it. I saw no temple. This is the city. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Hmm? Did you say that? I saw no temple in that city. So what's the picture? On earth, she was their temple. They lived in her. And in heaven, 
she's they are living with her. There's no need for any temple. The three are one. The three are one. Okay. In verse 22, uh, sorry, 23, the city had no need of sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. Okay. On earth, he was her light. She didn't walk in the light of the world, of the sun or the moon. Your word was a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And in him or in her was his life and his life was the light of man. So she didn't walk by the light of the moon or the sun when, when she walked on earth. She walked by faith. So he was her life. The Holy Spirit, the life within and the word outside both together came and that was the light for the bride. And scripture is saying you will see it all coming into reality one day. The spiritual reality of our walk of faith will be manifested there. And this is the journey of the church. And if you go to chapter 22 and verse 4, Revelation, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. The bride will see his face, the one who becomes the bride. They, that party will see his face, always see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. In First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, this is how Paul explains. And then 1 John 3, 2. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also have known. How does God know me? Completely. There's something hidden from God about you and me. Nothing. But he's hidden from me. But when the bride reaches there, it's made one with him. She knows him as he knows her. Just as I am. Then I shall know just as I also am known. So we have to look at these. Otherwise we will not be interested in this journey. What is this all about? So all these distractions are there. But how do we keep going on this journey is... Look at the big picture. What is this incredible call of salvation? What does it mean to be saved to the uttermost? If you go to 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, we are the children of God. It has yet not been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now this is a hypothetical positional statement. And then understand it, we have to go to verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. To what point? Just as he is pure. This is the hope of Rebecca. By the end of the journey, at the end of the journey, I will know Isaac. That is why verse 63 will say, Isaac is coming, and she gets off the camel. And then she asks, who is that man? Elias say, that's my master. She gets, she sees, she recognizes, this is the man. I've been talking to this man. All these years, or weeks, or months, how many months they were traveling, and she never got off a camel for any man. She never got off a camel for any man. But now without asking it, before she asks a question, she gets off, because she knows that's my man, only to confirm, because everything has to be confirmed by the Spirit of God. The Word is confirming inside you. All the Word you have heard is confirming within you, that is that man. I need one more witness, the witness of the Spirit. Is that my man? He said, that's your man. And all those who have ears... Let them hear 
spirit. But before he says all that in the book of Revelation, he says, blessed are those who reads, obeys. The threefold promise of the book of Revelation. Right? So the word is sin. The whole picture of Jesus Christ is imbibed through the word of God. And you recognize him and the spirit says, yes, that's your master. And that's it. So this is a journey we are in, everyone. So you have to see the journey from Haran to Canaan as a pilgrimage. Okay? You are, you, you, you meaning you have to look at life on earth as a pilgrimage. So there is much hardship in that journey. Much hardship in that journey. Oh, journeys can be hard. But the purpose makes all the difference. No difference, you know, because we are not used to. Um, let me tell you. I will give you an example. Go to high tech city from here by cycle. Then nobody cycles, and then come back home and sleep well. Every bone on your leg, your back will be hurting. All those who stopped gym after the lockdown, go to gym. And come back and sleep nicely the first two days. Right? It's a long, hard journey. Hard journey. It's a difficult journey. Difficult terrain, lots of hostility and no comfort like you had to hope. It's a long journey. What makes a journey bearable is a purpose we are going for. So let's look at that journey. Let it unfold that journey through scripture. How do I handle this journey from my salvation to my glorification? In between is sanctification. How do I handle? So we'll go to one of those familiar, familiar or kind of well-known psalm called the Psalm of a Song of Ascent, Psalm 84. It's written by the sons of Korah. Okay? Sons of Korah. We'll just look at first four verses. Okay? And it says, stay fast right now. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King, my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Why I picked or I believe the Holy Spirit led me to this is because if anybody could sing this and it be, could be true, it are the sons of Korah. Because these are the boys who lost their fathers by the judgment of God. And they are talking about the God whom they love so much. Like in, if you look in the yesterday's Message, these are a set of people who let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead bury the dead and follow Christ. Okay. So if you go to verse 1, how lovely is your tabernacle. Okay. Christ is our tabernacle. He is our dwelling place. My soul faints for his courts. Okay. You have to look at these and then say, is this true? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts 
with praise. You know? Go through the gates and come to the courts. And that's where his presence. Presence. Okay. The day has opened. You open your eyes and you enter the gates with thanksgiving because you know what? I have not been judged. I have life. Gates is where judgment takes place. I came through the night to another day. I still have life. That means my final judgment is still not set. If I had died in my sleep, then I'm going through the gates of judgment. I've reached there and only thing that is left for me is to wait for the verdict. But I've come through the gates with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. One more day in the land of the living. Your mercies are new this morning. And you enter into his courts. And my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. We are not talking about the holy place or most holy place. What a man. His soul is longing for, in the outer courts is where the presence of God is least. And he says, even that presence is something else. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And if you come to verse 3, he talks about the altar. Okay? Altar. So, verse 1. Let's go to verse 1. In this life, in this journey of the bride to a bridegroom, there has to be a leaving and a cleaving. Otherwise, this will not happen. So, the first commandment of marriage is in Genesis 2. For this purpose, man shall leave. Then man is us. Okay, the church. We have put it in terms of the church. He shall leave and cleave to him. If we don't leave and cleave, his tabernacle is not so lovely. For these things to become experiential, there are things which we have to do. A woman, that is a church, has to leave and cleave. Rebecca has to leave her father's house and cleave to Isaac. And the cleaving begins the day she leaves her father's house. All she wants to know is about Isaac. Every day, journey, conversation is about Isaac. Okay? Not like, uncle, uncle, are there any shopping malls in Canaan? No. That's not your conversation. I'm not interested in those things. It's about Isaac. I want to know Isaac. If I'm going to live the rest of my life with him, I want to know more about him. Tell me about Isaac. Tell me. You know him well, right? Tell me his childhood stories. You know him, right? You were there when he was born and he'll tell you, yes, you don't know about his birth. His birth was spectacular. Do you know how old his mommy was? No. She was 90 years old when she had 90 and she's a young girl. She must be in her 20s or 30s or whatever. We don't know how old Rebecca is. She said, 90? I hope I don't have to wait that long. You know, conversation going on. She doesn't realize she has to wait 20 years. Okay, conversation is going on. All our conversation is about, I want to know him. And that's Paul's cry. I want to know him. I want to know him. Unless we leave and start cleaving, we will not behold his beauty. And that's how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. Even though today we don't have to leave physically like Rebecca, we all have to leave spiritually the ties of flesh and blood. We have to. 
Okay? Otherwise, we can't cleave to Christ. So every morning is a fresh day. Unlike Rebecca, for us, spiritual Rebecca, every morning, when you wake up, the Holy Spirit will ask us, will you go with me? Every morning we have to answer yes or no. It's a choice. Every morning, will you go with me? And that's what Revelation, sorry, Romans 12, 1 means. It is for the believer after 11 chapters of dogma of what a faith is and a believer is on the 12th when he begins he says I beseech you brethren beg you by the mercies of God you present your bodies a living sacrifice offer yourself to follow him a living sacrifice every day and he's a a perfect gentleman you will ever meet in life is the Holy Spirit he will never push you he'll ask you will you follow me and it's our choice to say yes or no That means every day self has to die. Before Christ can be revealed afresh today. If I don't move with the Holy Spirit today, I will live with yesterday's revelation of who Christ is. Today's revelation does not come. Every day. Every day. King self has to die. Return with me to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1 to 4. Isaiah 6 and verse 1 to 4. The year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah has to die. Doesn't matter how long you lived under his reign and how much the land prospered under him. How much victory that was given through King Uzziah. If Uzziah doesn't die in your life, you don't see the Lord said, there are two kings. And you will see only one king at a time. You can't see both. Both. That's the usual statements, declarations. When one king dies, they will come and say, the king is dead, long live the king. That they say to the next king. The king is dead, long live the king. Zaya is dead, long live the king. If Zaya doesn't die, you don't see the other king. You can choose under which king you want to live. The old king, the king of the flesh, who is leprous in character, in nature. Or the other king, who is pure and holy. It's your choice. And he's sitting on a throne. Every day. The year King Uzziah died. What does scripture say? Now, I say it's in the temple. That's where he sees his vision. He sees in the vision. But it is, doesn't say we saw. He say, I saw. At the end of the day, you need to realize, God speaks only to the individual. He never speaks to a crowd. Never speaks to a crowd. He only speaks to an individual. Crowds may follow him, but only individuals hear him. Crowds. Who touched me? Just one individual. He goes to a place crowded with cripples, touched one man, and walked away. Okay. Come down, Zacchaeus. There's a massive crowd before, before, all around. Come down. It's a God who speaks to individuals. I saw. There could have been a crowd there in the temple. Only one saw. So there is a group of women traveling in the same direction. But only Rebecca will hear. 
there could be a Deborah with Rebecca. Who knows Rebecca from childhood? That's her nurse. Yeah, you know that. Deborah goes with her. Her name is Deborah, right? Her nurse's name. When Jacob comes back, you remember um, uh, Deborah dies. That's where Eliezer's name is found only there, no? Thirty-five, yeah. Thirty-five, yeah. Deborah, yes, I'm right. Deborah. Okay, Rebecca Smith. So these are all like Eliezer is important in Abraham's household. Deborah is important in uh, Rebecca's life. Okay, they will never send a young girl unaccompanied all that way. There will be an older person who will what? What do you call the English word chaperone? Her all the way and hand out. That is the word. Young girls were never allowed to date in the old days alone. There will be always an older person with them who will see they are sitting and talking properly. Today it's the other way around. Rebecca is not going to go all the way alone. There is a Deborah with her. Okay. Deborah knows Rebecca from childhood and she has all her maids also with her, accompanying her. But Eliezer is speaking, they all can hear. But the meaning is different. How Rebecca receives it and they receives it, it is different. For the others, it is information about Isaac. For Rebecca, it's her life. Because he's going to share his life with her. While he's going to cover them and give them everything they want in their life. But he will share his life only with Rebecca. In the end of eternity, God will spread his grace over the new heavens and the new earth. But Christ will share his life only with the bride. It's a difference. And that's the call to which we have been called. So how do you hear is the question when we hear about Christ. That is why God is a God of individuals. There was a group traveling with Saul. Christ only called him out. Saul, Saul. Others didn't hear what he was saying. So the same word can cut through one's heart and leave another cold. Move one to tears and yet leave another one untouched. Okay. The word of God. Why? Because God doesn't speak to crowds. God speaks to individuals. That's why servants of God have to be always... My youngest daughter today asked... Uh, well, asked her question was cute. You know? She's the youngest. I call her my little one. She asked me a question. Is it difficult to have to preach virtually? <laughs> Hello, she's only you seen me preach in the church, no? So she asking me this question. You know, we have this father daughters, this daughter each all daughters, all sons are not the same. So with my youngest daughter, the joke is that my eyebrows are hitting my nose. My my eyebrows are like Chinese, it grows like this. No, it's so when she comes on vacation, it is her job to trim my eyebrows. So I always tell the youngest one, my eyebrows miss you. Okay, so she's asking me, Do you miss preaching virtually? But it doesn't matter whether we are preaching to a crowd who we can see or we are preaching a crowd which is virtual. God only speaks to individuals. He doesn't speak to a crowd. He never speaks to a crowd. Each one has to receive it. That is the key. 
to receive it, one of the things is this. He is always looking for people. Let's go to Second Chronicles 69 in KJV. If I can have it in KJV. Second Chronicles 69. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards them. Okay. Perfect. And that Hebrew word which is translated there as perfect, theologians say, uh, come, it, it is from that word you have shalom. It's not shalom, it's shalem which actually you have two meanings. Let me see what I wrote down, the two meanings. It says, devoted and still. Devoted and still. God wants to show strong towards those whose hearts are still and devoted. You can be devoted and restless. You can be still and not devoted. Okay? Still and devoted. That's how Mary Magdalene, not not Mary Magdalene, Mary, Martha and Lazarus' sister, sat at his feet, still and devoted. And that's what scripture says. Isaiah saw the Lord. Isaiah saw the Lord. So if you look at the other one, the song of essence, the pilgrims were going, their heart was stayed on the tabernacle and the loveliness of God. So the question is, what do you and I see? What do I and see? This is, these are all important things, okay? The problem is, every time when the word of God is coming, all that is happening is conviction, then we are missing on the beauty of God. <laughs> Can we be still before God? Isaiah was in the house of the Lord, still, and he saw. Let me tell you, being still before God is something the church has forgotten. Well, God has given us now 30 days, around the world 30 days, to be still before him. Forcibly locked everybody inside and kept policemen with batons outside. But are we still? What is the state of our heart? Are we still before God? Honestly, <laughs> I was, you know, when you get a little older, you get a little comfortable. When you kneel down, you put a cushion under your knees. And I realized I had fallen asleep on my knees. <laughs> that was being too still. <laughs> but I still remember very clearly the three words because I, you know, I play with words. Because of English background. He gave me three words very clearly. I said, Lord, what's the state of the church? And I'm not talking about GDC. State of the church. How do you see it? He gave me three words. He said, shallow, hollow, and fallow. It is shallow. It is hollow. And there it is fallow. You need to break up, break the ground. 30 days is not enough. Okay. So if you look, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 4, 
high and lifted up, train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the Sharafim, each six wings. Two he covered with his face, two he covered his feet, with two he flew. One cried to the another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. All that is good. We can go into theological discussions about the three triplet. That's not the point. The point is, how do we see him? Otherwise, it's just a theological discussion. The whole thing is, how do I see? And he saw the whole posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. I don't believe this happened for anybody else. I believe it's happening only for Isaiah. Okay? So he sees God. He's still, his mind is devoted to God and God shows himself strong to him. Okay? He sees God. And then verse 5. Woe to me is for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The thing is that, Isaiah saw God, and then he saw himself in the light of God. Unless we see God, we will not see what we really are. The problem is we are all very complacent and comfortable is because we haven't seen God. Once we see God, then only we will see ourselves in that light. We are all very comfortable, happy. It's because really though 33 days of ministry is going on, we are not seeing God in the light of who God is. That's what he says. You know, it's not like today's TV preachers. If you look at them, they sound as if him. And Isaiah was the today's 21st century TV preacher. He would have said, wow, cool man, I'm the only one who saw God. I'm the only one who saw God. All these dudes with me, they didn't see anything. I must be the chosen one here because I saw. That's how they come and say, I've seen this revelation. This angel came and sat with me. Jesus came, had coffee with me. Nonsense. Have you seen God of the Bible? Have you seen the God of the Bible? The one who was closest to him on earth when he saw him fell like one dead? So which Jesus are you seeing? Now I'm talking about so-called senior people in the in the ministry. I'm not talking about kids where God, Jesus will appear in their dream and all he covers his glory, shows his kindness, touches him. A lot of Muslim brethren see Jesus in it. That's a different thing. We are not talking about that. We are not talking about seeing Jesus in a dream. We are seeing heavens open. And I saw, and as soon as he saw, he realized who he was. And this is always true in life. Please note this. The closer and closer we get to God, the clearer and more clearer we see our sinful nature. You see. And that's what the Bible says. James also says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And immediately he will say, cleanse your hands. See the state of your heart. Twice he says in that one letter, Double-minded hearts, how your heart, it's not, you're not devoted to God. Your heart is divided before God. 
So one thing to be devoted unto God and to be divided before God. And he shows. That's the question. No? And please remember, when he saw this, he was already a prophet. He was already a prophet. And that's when he sees this. But when he sees it, what does a prophet do? Prophesy. <laughs> Prophesy. But when he saw God, a man who has been prophesying or preaching, he sees the uncleanness of his lips. Uncleanness of his lips. Okay, so the question is, if we are servants of God, every time God shows a little of revelation, what we realize is, these lips are unclean, even to speak about you. And that's what Peter will say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Okay. So please, please take note of these things, of this journey God is taking us. When we lose sense of God, who God is, we also lose sense of our sin and who we are. They are always connected. When we start losing sense of who God is, who our God is, we also lose sense of our sin and who we actually are before Him. So like Isaiah saw himself in a completely different different way. God also gives us a true picture of who we are without God. Okay? But please remember the goodness of God. God does not reveal himself to us to destroy us. Whenever God reveals himself to us, you can be very, very sure he does it to redeem us. That's his pattern. Always. Who touched me? When she found she could not. I'm very sure. How did she know? Because Jesus knows who touched. There's a huge crowd. He's staring at her and says, Who touched me? He's not looking. Peter's saying everybody. He's not even listening to that. He said, No. He's staring at her and she knows. He knows. He knows. She's so scared. It's not because she touched him. But because she had an issue of blood. And touching him, the law says, would make him unclean. And that is her fear. Lord, am I going to get it now? You unclean woman. You have because that's what a Pharisee would have killed her. She's fear, fearful, fearful, fearful. Okay? And that's what she's so scared. She's scared. But do you know why he says, who touched me? And she says, he says, stand up and testify. You know why he makes her reveal that she touched him? Because if she had, if he had, and that's the compassion of Christ Jesus, she would have gone quietly with her healing. But all her life, because she's under the law, she would have lived with guilt. Did I make that man of God unclean? Though you are healed. You get it? And this is the compassion of Jesus Christ. He goes beyond your healing and sets you free inside. Go with your healing. Your faith has made you whole, my daughter. You never have to feel condemned in your life. You touch me, I am absolutely clean, so are you. Go in peace. So, whenever God reveals something about him, this is all the children of God who are listening, please remember, whenever God reveals something about him and about us, it is to redeem us, not to destroy us. Never to destroy us.
We destroy ourselves if we don't allow God to do the next part of his work. So you will see. Verse 6 and 7. One of the seraphim flew to him, to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Okay, this is what always God does. Okay, anybody who cries out, a tax collector who cried out, wouldn't even lift his head, went home justified. The Samaritan woman who came for water forgot her pot and ran home. She was made whole. Okay. And you will see this constantly in the church. Okay. And I don't want to get into that, that this is an incredible spiritual thing that is happening over there. Isaiah is in a physical temple where he sees a vision of the spiritual temple. And this is which only God can do. He brings a set of spiritual tongues picks a live coal probably from the physical one, yet his lips are not being burnt. This is a vision and a spiritual reality. Spiritual reality that is taking place over there. A physical and a spiritual reality. It's like a movie. It's like a 3D movie. Okay? It's literally a 3D. Not a movie, a 3D. Three-dimensional life. He's standing there. Okay? Scripture says... He took in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. This altar is the altar that is there where you have the animals that is burned. So this coal has been touched by two things. One is blood and one is fire. Two things. The blood purges your sin. The fire takes your iniquity away. And we need both. It is iniquity that feeds into that sin. And some of you who wrote me questions is, how do I keep going back? I keep repenting, going back. How do? Until the iniquity is dealt with, you will go back to your sin. Your sin has been purged, but your iniquity has to be taken away. There is covetousness and there is stealing. Zacchaeus steals because he is covetous. Stealing is the sin. Covetousness is the iniquity. So until both are dealt with, if you only deal with sin, all from whom I have stolen, I will give four times over. You have dealt with your sin. But covetousness has not been dealt with. After Jesus goes, two days, three days, one week, three, again you will start taking money. So covetousness has to be dealt. So he says, half my wealth I will sell and give it to the poor. That is not demanded from the law at all. But he's breaking covetousness in his life. Once that has been done, you don't steal anymore. Because iniquity that fed into the sin is gone. You need to realize. It's always like that. You cannot deal with sin alone. You have to deal with iniquity. And you go to Isaiah 53, you will see he dealt with all three in his atonement. Sin, transgression and iniquity. He does. And that's what he's doing. He comes with it, touches what did he take the coal from? What fell on the coal? Touch the, sorry, the, yeah, it is the blood and the fire. The blood of the Son, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Purge. The one who comes after me, it's both done by Jesus, shall 
baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Those 120 who had been purged by the blood, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, has tongues of fire so that now they can go back and speak with power. Because their sin and the iniquity has been dealt with. You are released to be my servants. And that's what you have to look at it and see this is how it works. And everybody who is struggling with repetitive habits, you need to go to God and ask, what's the iniquity? What is it? Feeding it. And sometimes it can be iniquity that is passed down. Abraham said, uh, Sarah, you say you are my sister. What was that? He lied. He was afraid and he lied. Then again, Isaac will tell Rebecca, you are my sister. By the time you come to the third generation, that is Jacob, he is a confirmed liar. Left, right, center, he lies. He lies. So now Isaac, Jacob is the one who is going to become Israel. And Israel is not his twelve sons, it is Christ, the nation, the church, everything. So he has to have a wrestling match with God on River Jabbok. Let me go, the angel of the Lord says, when day breaks. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Then God asks him a question, what is your name? What is your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. And he takes him back 20 years when he had lied to his father. Lied to his father. Iniquity is being broken. Iniquity is being, once iniquity is broken, fear is gone. Fear is gone. He has wrestled with God and wrestled with man and won. Prevail. What did he prevail over? He prevailed over sin. Prevailed over sin. Prevailed over iniquity. He prevailed. And God set him free. The next sight you see is, Bible says, the sun rose upon him. Yet, 20 years earlier, when he ran from his father's house and slept at Bethel, scripture says, the sun set on him. One iniquity and sin has been broken. The sun of righteousness shall rise over you, Malachi, for with healing under your wings. And you shall go out like calves released from the stalls. The next picture you see is, he's limping and running to meet Esau. He's not afraid anymore. He's been set free. The man who hid behind three groups of people, crossed the river and was hiding, is the one who is running now because he has been set free, because the son of righteousness has risen over him with healing under his wings. He's free. He's free. So these are things individually only the Holy Spirit can show you. What is your iniquity? What is your iniquity? That iniquity has to be broken. Sometimes it is generational. Yes, any man is in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. Are you completely dead? The problem is you are not. That is a positional truth. But are you walking like that? No. Nobody can walk like that. You have to keep dying. But what what are the things that I have to die to? And so many of dear ones sitting over here watching today and will watch later on, I'm telling you, your iniquity was your father and your grandfather and your grandfather were all masters. And they sold you. They took you as a child to the to the lodge and offered you. So you are bent that way right from beginning. You are bent that way. That has to be broken in your life and it will go. You are used for rituals. You are used for sex. You are used. 
So it has come upon you. You have to break all ties with that. You have to open your mouth, confess it, break it completely and plead the blood of Jesus over you and have to change your identity completely like Jacob's identity has to be changed. You are no longer Jacob, you are Israel. And he will keep struggling with these two identities even after that. Sometimes he's Jacob, sometimes he's Israel. Sometimes he's Jacob, sometimes he's Israel. He's struggling with that identity. But that's the growth you have to go through. A lot of people struggle with our, but we have to make this conscious every morning when we rise up, we have to make this decision. I die to my old identity. I am not Jacob. I am Israel. I was baptized as Jacob. That's why in your email ID you will see my identity is God's David. It's, it's not Jacob. Because when I was baptized on the eighth day by my, by my parents, I was baptized as Jacob. I changed my identity spiritually and right only as David. Because I am not, I am not David after gone sword heart or you will see my other email ID, my ID is Israel, not Jacob. I will not go by my old identity. Because your old identity you need to die to. You have to have your new identity in Christ Jesus. That's your identity and live every day. I die, Christ lives. Otherwise, it will be a circle going like that. That is what God does with the children of Israel, the new generation. You're not going to fight a single battle. Wait here, all of you crossed. Okay, okay. Circumcise them, all of them. Let the reproach of Egypt be rolled away. That's your iniquity. Reproach. Rolled away. You are free. Free. That's your identity. And that's where we have to be very, very clear. We have only one identity. I am a Christian. I'm not a Telugu Christian. I'm not a Syrian Christian. I'm not an Afro-American Christian. I'm not a white Christian. I'm not a brown Christian. These are all identities. And that's, that's what is messing up the Christendom. They have two identities. And God says, no, only one identity. In Christ. In Christ. So their mouth has to be cleaned. Our mouth has to be cleaned daily. And he does it through the Holy Spirit. And this has to be a daily experience. Daily experience. The first thing he does with his servants is he cleanses their lips. Because their lips proclaim his word. He cleanses their heart. And he cleanses their lips because you have to have your heart gripped by the love of Christ Jesus. And your mouth then speaks the life of Christ Jesus. So two things, if you know Matthew 5 and verse 48, scripture says, be perfect. As your father is in heaven is perfect. Therefore you shall be. What is this connected with? Love. Heart motivated with love. And James 3, 2. Two things in the New Testament talks about perfection. Not four, one, three, two. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is perfect man. And this is to which we have to keep growing heart and lips. It's a heart-lip combination. And it is done by blood and fire. Blood and fire. Always very careful. This is one thing I tell people. Okay. Are we against homosexuality? Yes. Are we against homosexuals? 
No. Do you really love them? If you don't love them, don't speak again so much sexuality. I had gay friends, and so they were some of the nicest guys you could ever meet. <laughs> In Iflo. Nice guys. They are my good friends. But that's, there's a person and what he's struggling with. These are two different things. Do you hate abortion? Yes. Do you hate women who do abortions? No. Is your church inclusive? I'm not talking about allowing homosexual to do their, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about abortion here. If a teenage girl in your church gets pregnant, what will you do? Will you take the baby? If you won't take the baby, then shut your mouth and don't speak against abortion. As a church. Heart gripped by love. The mouth that is purified. Both. It's one thing I always told everywhere before I came to Hyderabad and all. You young kids in my youth groups, don't go that route. And if you go that route, don't you dare about that baby as long as I'm alive. You can and all. I've told a couple of people. They didn't have to go through. They took the advice. A couple of people can come. Hyderabad. My wife is here. You can come have the baby. You don't have to worry. You can have the baby. Don't you think about aborting. If you're kicked out of your house, come here, have the baby. If you need to go back, go back. Give us the baby. We'll bring it. Babies are the most wonderful gift from heaven. From heaven. So please remember, we are not activists. We are not activists. We are not fighting causes. We are fighting for people. Fighting for people. There was a gay guy who used to come regularly to GDC in the beginning. Never was unkind to him. Never. I knew he was gay. Never ever was unkind to him. That's not our job. We are talking about things that affect God's holiness. But God died for all sin. So you have to look at it. You look at them, you need to have, you might need to sympathize with them. To sympathize with them. You're not sympathizing with their sin. We are sympathizing with the people. And these are things pastors need to understand. We are not mollycoddling sin. We are not mollycoddling the sinners. We are like Jesus. Is there anybody who accuses you? No. Go. But don't sin. Don't sin. You sin? You die. Pick up your mat and walk. Find him and says, don't sin. Something worse will happen. Happened. Okay. So we have to preach again. Sin. Tough. Sin. These are things which you need to understand on this journey with Rebecca. How is Rebecca's heart changed? Rebecca has to, if Rebecca has to live with Isaac, Rebecca has to know Isaac's heart. What kind of a man he is. What kind of a man is this guy you're going to marry? What kind of a man is Christ? That's why I said a lot of people will be absolutely comfortable in heaven if Jesus not is there. For them, heaven only means escape penalty. That's all they mean. I mean, they didn't really know Jesus over here, so it doesn't bother them if you put them in planet Earth, new Earth, where the presence of Jesus is much lesser. They're okay with that. You can't miss what you don't know. Right? Then, 
your vision also will change. In Isaiah 6 and verse 8, we will start seeing the world through God's eyes. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then, here I am, sent me. Then you will see the heart of God. Until now. He cleanses you, and then sends you. Every day. Cleanses you, and you hear, and you go. We'll start seeing the world through the eyes of God. And this last days, people have to see through God's eyes. Please remember, God does send sinful men and women, not sinless angels to minister. But, after purging their lives and their lips, by His grace and by His fire, every day He sends. He only sends. Only at the end, in the book of Revelation, you have an angel handling the gospel. Till then, it is sinful men and women. He sends. But, He purges them and sends them. So please remember, all who are here listening, everywhere, your past does not matter to God. Does not matter to God. He cleanses and he purges. The Samaritan woman, first evangelist, Mary Magdalene, the first one to proclaim resurrection, Peter and Paul, both, Moses, purged to proclaim. Let's go there. Because we need to get this very, very clear because a lot of people have just come out. Plenty of them. Exodus 4, 3 and 4. Before, what do you have in your hand? He said, a staff. Ah, my staff is here, thank you. My staff is here. Cast it on the ground, he said. So he cast it on the ground. Remember, it is a staff. It became a serpent and Moses fled from it. He said, Moses, that is the 80 years of your life. You ruled over Egypt. You ruled over Jethro's sheep. But it was empowered by the enemy. Did you see? Empowered by the enemy. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So take it the other way around. And after that, that's how he walks. That's not how people walk. The people walk like this. The head. He walks like this, symbolically meaning what? Now you will use power to serve, not to rule. You used power like a rod to rule. Now you will use power. My power is given. My power is above every other power. But remember, I as a God uses power to serve my creation. Sustain my creation. One day he will judge. Not now. Till then he serves. And he caught it and became a rod in his hand. That is the power factor. And then, he says, it's not enough, no? Just because he got power, you cannot go. Verse 6 and 7. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand on your bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom and when he took it out, his hand was leprous like so. He said, do you see the state of your heart? Don't think I am sending you because you are smart. Don't think I am sending you because you are holy. No, every man I have sent out has been a sinner. But I cleanse him first. This is the state of your heart. Leprous as so. Now put your hand back on your bosom again. 
and it was restored clean. He says, now you are cleansed and purged. You have been empowered. You can go and get my people out. Now you should look at verse 20 of that same chapter. Moses, the man of God, is now the man of God, took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took now what? It has become the rod of God. It's not Moses' rod. It is the rod of God. And Egypt had no clue what was coming. They saw an 80-year-old man coming with a stick. They had no had no clue what this man had become and what this stick had become. Cleansed, purged, and empowered. Unlike Isaiah, of course, he didn't want to go, but he went. He didn't want to go and God actually got mad with him. Okay, so our vision of life too will change. The entire vision of the disciples changed. And they were empowered to go, to become a witness. And the journey, because you know where you are going at the end of the journey, and to whom you are going, is not as terrible as it is. It is terrible, but it does not feel so terrible. It is like Jacob working for Rachel. And if you go to Psalm 84 and verse 3, Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King, my God. You actually even envy the sparrow and the swallow. Why? See, this is this altar, big altar. Now this altar, parts have broken whole, sparrows and swallows have made. Nest over there. And he says, well, I have to worship and go back. I wish I could just stay there. That was the, that was the desire of this man. But that desire is possible for us. It's not a sentimental cry anymore for the believer of the new covenant. He doesn't have to say, oh, I wish I could cling to the cross. He says, you can. You can cling to the cross. Oh, I wish I could die to myself. He says, yes, you can. Just lie on that altar. Like Isaac. She died to himself. It's a young age. And he was alive, eyes open to the will of his father. He says, you can. That's what he's saying. Basically saying, oh, I wish... The altar, that is the cross, would define my life. In Galatians 6.14, a man actually says, the altar defines my life, the cross defines my life. 6.14 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, the psalmist saw the altar as a resting place for the sparrow and the swallow. But the question is, do we see the cross as a resting place? Yet it is our resting place. If you cling to the cross, you will hear his voice still very clearly 2,000 years later. It is finished. It is finished. 
You don't have to do one thing in your flesh. Just rest in my work. Those who cling to the cross dwell in his house. That's Psalm 84, right? 3 and 4. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Those who cling to the cross will dwell in your house and they will be still praising you. Or think about it. Or else, how can you praise in the midnight hour in a prison in Philippi? Only those who rest in the cross, rest in Christ, can see life differently and sing. See life differently and sing. Both has to be there. To see life differently is one thing. To sing is another thing. Only those who rest in the cross. And it's Paul's record and Silas' record. But it's been the record of God's saints for 2,000 years. They sang all the way to the cross. Their own deaths, they sang. Can we sing? That's what the Bible says. They will be still be praising you. Those who dwell spiritually in your house. The journey is difficult. It's tiring. But they are singing. I'm sure Rebecca is singing. If she knew how to whistle like me, she must have been whistling in Elizabeth. I know where I am going. I'm whistling. Is Andy tired? Yeah, every bone is hurting. Why are you whistling? I know where I am going. I know to whom I am going. I can't stop singing. And all the girls must be poking and making. Look at Rebecca. Look at her. She is singing. She is singing. Can we sing? Psalm 137, 1 to 4. By the rivers of Babylon, not Bonium's junk, this is the original. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. I can never forget that song because when we were growing up, you know, Kerala had this big thing with the Middle East. In those days when we were growing up, everybody came with these tape recorders, with these big speakers. Everybody, airport was full of them coming. Nobody could speak English. They all went to work in the Middle East, oil fields and all. But every house, the tape recorder is not facing towards you. It is always facing towards the neighbor's window with Bonium. Blasting Bonium. Every house, Bonium and Abba. And if those days I didn't know the Lord, otherwise I would have said, Abba, what is this? So how can I ever forget? Then I, I didn't even know that time this song was in the Bible. Later when I became a believer, I found, oh, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Of course, they bring Johnny Cakes and all that. We sat down here, we wept when we remembered Zion. We wept. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. Three and four. For there those who carried us away captive asked us of a song and those who plundered us requested mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in the foreign land? Asked Paul and Silas. Asked Paul and Silas how they sang a song. It's a foreign land. And we live in a foreign land. Our citizenship is not of earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we are still able to sing. And I'm believing that when Peter worships 
in the morning and in the evening in all the houses and all the other churches who are worshipping in every Christian home in the city they are singing in the midst of lockdown let it be different that's it Netflix this and Amazon Prime do the whatever we let be different sounds come from let songs come from our house because we can sing in a foreign land because we know where we are going how can we sing but they who dwell in his house will be able to praise you and to sing you. That is the question. Can we sing in Zion? By the reverse of Babylon? Can we sing songs of Zion? Ezekiel 1.1 Ezekiel 1.1 It came to pass in the 30th year, in the 4th month, on the 5th day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabot. That's the river of Babylon. That the heavens opened and I saw visions. So one set of people are not able to sing. Another man in the same situation by the same river is seeing open heavens. So it is not your situation that causes you to sing or to praise or see open heavens. It's your heart. And through it all you will see. He's able to see open heavens by the river. The presence of God is over there. The spirit of God takes him. Everything is happening by the river. In a foreign land. And the entire Book of Ezekiel is kind of literally composed there by in a foreign land. By the way, one set of people hung their harps. Oh, we are in a foreign land. Captives, how can we sing? Yeah, the jailer and those guys beat them up and thrown them in the prison and they were singing and all the other captives and the one who put them into captivity. Everybody's life was changed because these two people sang. If they had only prayed, nobody would have been saved. They sang. That's what brought the salvation. Because everybody heard. Everybody were listening. Two people singing. It's never happened in the history of this prison. Two people singing. Everybody prays. When disaster happens, even in Jonah's case, everyone cried out to their God. Only one fellow who knew God wasn't crying out to God. That was a surprise there. Everybody cries. You go to prisons, everybody prays. How many sing? With joy. How many can sing? That song changed that night. And that's what is happening over there. When we are on this road, it is difficult. The journey is difficult. God said you will have trials, you will have tribulation in life. But I am with you. Be of good cheer. What did he say? Be of? For I have? How do you show your good cheer if you don't sing? Be of good cheer. You don't know what I am going through. Be of good cheer, Amma. Sing. Half the people sing only when they see the pastor. Sing. Pastor doesn't have to hear your songs. God has to. Our issue is we are trying to straddle two worlds at the same time. God says, no, every day you have to labor. To enter into my rest. Enter into my rest. Yes, you don't know, Pastor. I have my son, I have my daughter, I have my children. So, you are not able to sing? Go back to Psalm 84, verse 3. Let me tell you about all the parents who worry about children. I too have five. The sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her. Let me tell you, there's only one place where your children are safe. That's at his altar. Nowhere else. 
leave them at his altar. The swallow lays her eggs at the altar. And they are safe there. Swallow has more wisdom than us. Lay your eggs on the altar. And I'm telling you, they are safe. The safest place Isaac could ever, ever be in his life was when he was bound and laid on the altar. That was the safest place he could be. Nothing could touch him there except God. He was beyond the hand of man, beyond the hands of power of darkness. Right there on the altar, the eyes of God was upon him. If God will stay his hand over Isaac, you can be sure every hand will be stayed over Isaac. Lay your children on the altar and sing. Do everything else you have to do. Train them, speak to them, advise them, counsel, all that you have to do. But lay them on the altar and then do the rest. Don't do the rest and then think one day I will lay them on the altar. It simply doesn't work. Every day lay them on the altar because even the swallow where she may lay her young, where even your altars, O Lord, my God. I have to start thinking radically differently because salvation is an entirely different trajectory. It is 180 degrees. You are going like this, you turn around and go like this. It's a change of heart, change of mind and change of desires. Every day, every day, complete change. And on that journey, it's only one person you can lean on. It's the Spirit of God. There's only one person Rebecca can lean on. It is Eliezer. One person. So God asked these questions if you go to verse 5 on this journey. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. So where is our strength? 33 days we have been locked up. 3 days voluntarily and 30 days Involuntarily. No, the lockdown didn't begin on February, March 31st, 21st. It was Saturday, right? Only churches were not allowed to gather, but lockdown hadn't literally begun. So we locked ourselves up and began on 21st itself. So what I'm saying is, but where is our strength? In whom is our strength? If the church has to emerge radiant, after this coronavirus goes or something worse comes, it does not matter. The church has to rediscover her strength. You are my strength. People don't realize everything ultimately depends on this. God is working completely differently with the world and with the church. With the church, this entire thing is that I want you to rediscover again one ancient truth which was always true, which you forgot. In the midst of all this glitter, glamour, expansion, money making and everything. I am your strength or not discovered. Let me tell you this simple question. Which churches do you think are really struggling? The small ones or the big ones? <laughs> the big ones. You know what, how much they have to pay to maintain their structures? <laughs> they are the ones struggling. I'm not saying therefore if the big church was off God, God will sustain them without any issues. He will sustain it. You never have to worry about whether your church is small or big. Only thing you have to worry is who is your strength? 
who is your strength discover the church has to discover its strength and everything i'm telling you depends upon this turn to second corinthians 12 verses 7 to 10 a man discovers his strength second corinthians 12 verse 7 lest i should be exalted above measure but the abundance of the revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of satan to buffet me lest i be exalted above measure wait a minute there go to matthew 26 and verse 67 so that we can come back 26 and 67 and then we come back 26 67 then they spat in his face jesus christ and beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands if you go to kjv it will say they spat in his face and buffeted him that's the actual meaning of buffet not buffet which is what you eat this is to hit him this is to hit him now you go back to corinthians 12 and verse 7 and you will see a strange lest i should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of satan to let us say put it in beat me so revelation and beating goes together god says yes you want revelation you want an abundance of revelations do you want then i have to keep you also so that you don't destroy yourself because of the revelations you so open heavens that is one thing now you need to know the strength of my arm for that i have to make you weak as long as you are strong you will not lean on my strength so you so open heavens right you saw all this stuff right now i have to make you weak i have to make you weak so what did he do verse said onwards concerning this thing i pleaded with the lord three times that it might depart from me so it was demonic depart from me not inside but outside whatever it is in his body we don't want to presume or whatever it was it was troubling this man of god and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you it's enough my strength is made perfect in weakness tell me paul Do you like your revelations? Yes. How do you feel weak? Good. Did the revelation make you weak? No. Who made me weak? That fellow. Do you want deliverance or do you want strength? I would like deliverance, but no, I'm not giving you deliverance. So what do you want? I'll give you my strength. Every day you will have to lean and depend upon my grace. That's why that man wrote all about grace because through his revelation and through his beatings he realized the strength of grace for my grace is sufficient for you and for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly i will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of christ may rest upon me so this is the question where is your strength blessed is the man blessed is the man right go back 84 84 yeah 5 4 and 
It has to go together. <laughs> okay. Blessed is the man who dwell in your house. You cling to the altar and dwell in the house and blessed is that man whose strength is in you. That's the question. So how does, how do you, how do you get prepared for Isaac? Isaac is a strange character in the Bible. You know, you have 50 chapters in the Bible. In chapter 12 onwards, Abraham begins. So you have roughly, approximately around 12 chapters about Abraham. And you have 13 chapters about Joseph. Nine chapters roughly about Jacob. In between you have history, genealogy of Esau and Judah and Tamar and stuff like that. And approximately only two chapters about Isaac. Only two chapters. Now think about it. This, this guy is the type of Christ in the Bible. Only two chapters. Only two chapters. But his entire life is summed up in one verse. His entire life is summed up in one verse that will define to whom Rebecca is going. Genesis 26 and verse 25 is Isaac. He built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent there and he dug a well there. Together. Made an altar, pitched his son and dug a well. That was his entire life in one circle. An altar, a tent and a well in one circle. And that's Isaac. That's to where she is going. Begins with an altar. His life begins with an altar there. And next to the altar, he pitches his tent. And next to that, he digs his well. And God says, what defines our life? Does an altar define our life? Do we cling to the cross? And have we pitched, made our dwelling place next to it? And there, dead to self, and residing in the presence of God, are we digging into the word of God? Then God says, you will live. You will never be, you never will have to fight powers of darkness every day like Isaac did. He lived in peace. He didn't have to fight. He never was worried about anybody taking his blessing or stealing blessings. Take. What do you want? Everywhere I dig, I get water. You can take. You can take. No issues with me. Man of peace, where his enemies came to make peace with him. This is Isaac. That's why he doesn't need 20 chapters. One line is enough. This is the man. One line is enough. He built an altar. He called upon the name Lord. He pitched his tent there. And his servants dug a well there. It is to him. Rebecca is being taken. So God says, what defines? You know the principle in Zechariah? We don't have to go there for six. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. That's what it means to live by your spirit. So don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Know your strength. Let's go back. 84 and verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. And his heart is set on that journey. 
Where is your heart set? That's the key. Rebecca's heart is set on that journey to ISO. That is the issue with the church. Like I joked before the meeting began, today's Rebecca Eliezer wakes up in the morning, she's disappeared. She's packed her camel and gone the other way back to her heart. This is too much for me. Half the people have disappeared from this journey. Very few are left in this journey. They are saved, but not on this road. Because this is too much. Who can handle this? Even the disciples said this is too much. Rebecca, modern Rebecca's wants to play golf and shopping and mall and movies. What is this journey you are talking about? Set on that pilgrimage, not set on the world. That's a fake church. And James will use that word, double-minded. So put your whole heart and life into this journey. Yes, it is tough. There is suffering. There is tribulation promised. But also there is presence promised. I will never leave you. I will send somebody just like me. He will be with you. And he will be in you. And he will be with you forever. Eliezer will be there every step of the way. So you have to see that triumph in that trial. In that journey itself, you have to see a triumph. Otherwise, we won't finish. Turn to verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, Baca means tears, they make it a spring. Paul and Silas were thrown into a valley of Baca. They made it into a spring. Not only that, the rain of God came over there and covered it with pools. Suddenly you had was one free place in the city was the prison. Captives were set free. You getting it? They, as they passed through the valley of Baca, they changed the nature of that valley. It is they who changed. It's a valley of tears. But because these redeemed ones are going through those valleys, wherever they go, they change. They change. Now we have the old saying, no? some people bring joy when they come. Some people bring joy when they leave. <laughs> these are people who bring joy when they come. Valley of Baka. Can it? They changed. Joseph goes into Potiphar's palace as a slave. He's going through his valley of Baca, tears inside. Every night he must have cried unto the Lord. But he changed the entire household. Later, Mr. Potiphar must have ruled the day he threw him into prison, but his pride won't allow to bring him back. Everything that happened in the house was this man had made it into a valley. They make it into a spring. Okay. And then he's thrown into prison. If you go to Genesis 41. Forty and verse four, not forty-one. Forty and verse four. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them. 
What he served this? What did Joseph do? There's a value of backup for him. But he changed their life. He was serving them, though he's in charge of them. Changed. He made that value also into a spring. We don't realize that is how the valley becomes a spring. It all began. Rebecca's life was transformed all with one question and one answer. Will you give me a drink of water? And she ran and said, yes, my Lord, and I will also water your camels. Those who go through the valley of Baca, how do they change that place? It's because they go through their tears, but they will realize I'm called to serve. The life of Christ has to radiate through me. I cannot hold it back. It has to go through me. I cannot hold it back. I have to. It has to be the life of Christ and the work of Christ. Then it changes your valley. Turn to First Samuel chapter 30 and verse 4. Literally the valley of Baca. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. They cried. Men, grown up men, because they lost everything, their wives, their children, the battle, everything, all their 16 months earnings, everything gone. And they are crying. Now after that the word says, they picked up stones. But David is a leader. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Go to verse 11. Now he's running, pursuing. With 600 men, 200 of them are tired. They said, we don't want to come. He said, okay, stick here, lighten the load. Leave the baggage over here. Let these 200 take care of them. On the way, scripture says, they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. Where are you going? Going to rescue the lives of our wives and our children. What are you stopping for? Because we see a sick man on the road. This is not a priest who will walk away or a Levite who will walk away. This is the son of David. Son of the original David. Though he is called to be the father of Christ, he is the son of the original David. He stops and they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water. In verse 12, they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters. You have no clue what's happening over here. If you are perceiving something, this is all losing time. What you want is time and they are stopping there. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. And because they ministered to him, they asked him a question, where are you from, what happened? Then he said, these Amalekites. Then he said, if you swear to me, I am one of their slaves, if you swear to me, I can take them to you. I know where their hiding places. You know, because in the valley of Baca, they ministered to somebody. He led them straight. And scripture says he killed them all. 400 escaped and he recovered all. Because we think the value of Baka automatically becomes springs of water. No, it's because of what you do and what you allow Christ to do through you. That makes it the spring. Just because you pass through a place, a spring doesn't come over there. It's what you allow Christ to do there that makes it a spring. And people forget this fundamental because in the valley of tears, what happens? They are like Naomi. All oh, the eyes are all gone inward. They cannot see anything and God cannot use them. God cannot use them. Well, God says, this is the time I actually need you. Actually need you. 
lot of people drown in their sorrows and take their best china tablecloth all out and sit alone and have their pity party. Pity party all the God says, what a waste of life. Yes, I see you go through the valley of Baka. But you are not able to turn it into a spring. You know why? Because your strength doesn't come from me. No, your heart set on the pilgrimage. Therefore, I can't change your situation. This is what Peter is talking about in First Peter chapter 4, 12 to 14. All the people who are going through whatever you are going through during this lockdown. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. And though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Everything that Rebecca is going through. I'm just, that's a type. A physical what you call the exertion, the exhaustion of that travel. It's, it's really, really, really have no clue what journeys are like. I remember, I can still remember, clearly remember, once I had to go for a meeting and once I give my word, I never cancel it unless lockdown cancels. And in those days, there were no lockdowns. So I had to reach um, Assam. And this is season when every ticket, everything was full. But I, like I said, I know how to navigate through railways. So I went to Chennai, Hyderabad to Chennai, and took the Chennai Dibrugar Express. It took me 56 hours before I reached. 56 hours non-stop in the train. Sitting in, I always take side upper. Side upper means you are king. No? Sitting in side upper, sitting, reading, reading, studying, preparing everything for all the meetings and all. Reach Gohati early in the morning. And I still remember, Green Valley, Blue Hills, these are the two bus services that takes you another five hours. And by them, I'm exhausted. And then, when you reach, almost reach over there, some roadblocks, so you have to take an inside country road. By them, I was almost ready to give up. Like, Lord, I'm so tired. But in that country road, he changed my entire three days work in the train and said, now I will give you the word for this meeting. And I sat there in the bus in the last one hour, he gave me the entire word for the whole meeting. That's why you don't forget these things. When he has spoken in the middle of the valley of Baka, you will remember everything. Otherwise, these are all gone. It is a, it's, it's a pointless, uh, this thing, no? He will speak. He will speak. That is the whole thing. You are reproached for the name. You are, Rebecca is partaking of Christ's suffering. What is, in this journey, whatever she is going through, who, for whom is she going through? For Isaac. She's, Isaac is not part of it. Isaac is sitting in his house, but she is partaking in Isaac's sufferings because she is going to Isaac. Where is the church going? To Christ. So what are we partaking of? His sufferings. If you are not on that road and not pursuing righteousness and holiness and peace and love with everybody, you don't have to partake of any of his sufferings. You have the ways of the world. Plenty of ways are there. So many ways are there. You know, you are, you are not like Dennis the Menace. Remember the Dennis the Menace thing one? Where he went to church on a cartoon when he went to church and the preacher was preaching upon, if he, somebody hits you on one cheek, show the 
the cheek. So when the pastor, you know, mainline churches, they will stand and shake hands with everybody. So he was shaking hands with Dennis Jimenez and Dennis Jimenez told, but sir, the problem is in school, they punch you on the nose. And since there is only one nose, I give back on the other nose. <laughs> but we are a set of people who are called not to react like that. Not to react like that. He says, you know, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, what are you? Blessed are you. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Rebecca, do you know? As you go through all this, do you see your face? Something on your face. Are you tired? Yes. But it doesn't show on your face. What is that? The spirit of Abraham and Isaac is resting upon you. There's something about you. There is joy on your face. Joy on your face. Joy on your face. What is it? Because you know where you are going. And you know to whom you are going. All the other girls with her doesn't have the same joy. Rebecca's joy is different. Deborah must have complained also about her arthritis and all. Ampa, why did I have to come with this girl? <laughs> why did I go with this girl? I should have stayed home and sent somebody. Why did the Lavan send me with this girl? I never knew the journey was so tough. But Rebecca's joy is different. So how will we take this journey is the question. How will we take this journey? The valley of Baka, what did they make? Spring. Baka means sorrow, means suffering. So we all like mountain top experiences. But have you noticed something? There are no fruits on the mountain. Then you may get flowers, but no fruit. The fruit is all in the valley. Nobody goes up the mountain to pick fruit. They pick fruit in the valley. The valley is where all this is grown. We like this mountain top experiences. God says, good, I want you to be on the mountain top. You experience me on the mountain top, but I want to go and live in the valley. That's where my work lies. So, Elijah will count Mount Carmel. And he will defeat the powers of darkness. He will climb Mount Horeb and have an encounter with God. But his work lies... In the valley, he has to raise up a next generation of leaders. That's where his work lies, in the valley. And there, he will go through a lot of physical labor and trouble, not up in the mountain. So both are there. But much of the work is in the valley. So we have to see life as a journey towards Isaac. And the Holy Spirit as our only strength. When he comes, you shall receive power. When you receive that power, you shall be my witnesses. And I may ask you to journey along Jerusalem, Judea, or maybe even to the ends of the earth. And as we close, 84 verse 7. If that is it, if you know very clearly, your heart is set on it, your strength is God, then you don't grow weaker. You grow strength to strength until each one, again we appear only alone. You may grow as a company, but you appear alone. Each one appears before God in Zion. If you got it all very clear, 
what this journey is about and to whom you are going and where you are going and you are leaning on God. And your heart is set on this journey and your strength is God. God says you don't go from weakness to weakness. You go from strength to strength. Till when? Till you appear before God. And I'll prove to you from scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18 and Second Corinthians 3, 18 and we shall stop. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This was a spiritual journey. The other one was a different journey. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Is it being renewed day by day? How do you see the outward man's travel? Light affliction, which is but for a moment. You look, this entire life on earth has a moment. Is working for us a far more exceeding and it Eternal weight of glory. That weight of glory is eternal. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not are seen. Do you think Rebecca remembered when she reaches Isaac the journey? All the sights of the journey. She was not a tourist. She's not a tourist. All these people who go to Israel are tourists. They are not on pilgrimage. They are tourists. In the point they see and show some devout pictures and all that. But they are all tourists. They are not on pilgrimage. Because if you are a pilgrim, you don't have to go to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem comes to you. You dwell in Jerusalem. I am not saying you shouldn't go. Please help the Jewish economy. It's good. When it's a lockdown and it's all over, everybody please travel, let people eat. What can we do? They need all these things to work. But look at this. And look at Second Corinthians 3 and verse 18. 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory just as by whom? Spirit of the Lord. And that's what's happening in the journey. Rebecca and Eliezer is going. Every day she knows more about Isaac. 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 And you can see the glow on her face. She's singing, oh wow, it's much better than I thought. And it will be her song. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. This is the man. It was worth waiting for. This man. Each day. Each day. And this should be genuine songs. Each day I love him more and more. Each day. But it comes from revelation from the Holy Spirit. Not from the knowledge of the written word. The written word has to reveal Christ to us. That is why Jesus looked at us and said, What were you reading? (laughs) What were you all reading and memorizing? This is all about me. He told his disciples all all the scriptures. That's why they were busy having a discussion on the road to Emmaus. He walked with and closed their eyes since you are (laughs) not finding me in the scriptures. So why should I reveal myself to you? That is why I always say our discussions are good. Intellectual discussions are good. But at the end of the day, it should be about Christ. Revelation is to the heart. He reveals himself to you. The other is for the head. Are you getting the picture? 
And then everything changes. Everything changes. As I close, one more nugget for the church. Because God is sanctifying us how? Spirit, soul, and body. So that he can present, the Holy Spirit can present us how? Blameless. Jesus is doing the work through the Holy Spirit. Blameless at the appearance of Jesus Christ. So we are three part. I am a body, I am a soul, I am a spirit. Simple so that we understand it, what it is. So when something happens, I have pleasure in my body, happiness in my soul, and joy in my spirit. Understand? When that happens, that whole thing is spiritual. And that doesn't happen, that thing was not spiritual. That's how you judge everything. That's how you judge Pleasure in my body, happiness in my soul, joy in my spirit. But the joy is constant. Even if there is no pleasure, Joy should not go. Or if there is no happiness, joy should not go. The constant is joy. Guard the joy. That is what we should be. The people who are on pilgrimage and set on the heart, why are they able to sing? And why are they able to go from strength to strength? It is because of the joy in their spirit. Joy in the spirit. And that will cause you to sing in any situation. Even in your darkest night, you are able to sing. You are able to. Yes, is there depression in the soul? Yes, you shake it off. And David knows. That's why the psalm is all written by him. He's talking to his, because he's got joy in his spirit and talking to his soul and said, Oh my soul, why are you downcast? His spirit is speaking to his soul. Hope thou in the Lord. Nonsense. We are supposed to walk in one line. What is this? I'm going this way, you're going this way. Okay? You have to. That's what scripture says. The whole people have wept till they have no strength. That is grief of the soul. They have no strength. But they had strength to pick stones. Okay? And they pick stones. And he's, he is there. He is encouraging himself in the soul, in the spirit. Speaking. So keep this always, always this. And the marker is your spirit. Marker is in the spirit. That's the marker. Don't let Anybody fool around with your spirit. The joy and the peace he's promising is all in the spirit. You'll have trouble in the world. That's in the body. You may be disturbed in your soul, but you have peace in your spirit. Because you know where you're going, you know where to whom you're going, and you know he's one you are. You cannot lose. We cannot lose. That's how you have to look everything, including COVID-19. Even the, what's the worst thing COVID-19 can do to me? Death. Even death is victory. Going home. You can't scare me. You can't scare me. Even death is victory. I know. I'm on pilgrimage. I'm on pilgrimage. And I will appear alone before Zion, before my God. And you will only go from strength to strength. That's how you have to look at life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this evening, once again, we just come to you, Lord, and I pray and I commit all our church into thy hands, everyone who is listening, Lord, and will be listening in the days to come. I just commit them into thy hands, Lord, and I pray just two lines about Rebecca's journey. She arose, she went, Isaac came, and she alighted from her camel, 
and she knew it was her Lord. That was how momentary for her that affliction of that long and earnest journey was, Lord. One line. That's also how it will be, Lord, when we stand before you. You look back and just like a momentary affliction. It was worth nothing, this journey to you. But I pray, Father, once again tonight, we will listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit, our divine Eliezer. He is our strength. He is our guide. He is the only one who can guide us to all truth. He is the only one who can take us all that way. Help us to listen to him. And repent when he says repent. Laugh when he says laugh. Walk when he tells walk. Do when he tells to do. Rest when he tells us to rest. He makes the decisions. All we can do is cling to that altar. And pitch our tent by the altar. And dig our well by the altar. Help us to see, Lord, that these things that we learn to translate into spiritual realities in our lives. I speak this into the lives of each one who is hearing. One day at a time. They will not worry long term. One day at a time. They will take it. One day at a time. Each day a living sacrifice. Each day a renewal of a mind. Each day hearing something and learning something about Jesus until it becomes Rebecca's life. Each day, one day, taking life at one day, and not worrying about tomorrow, but seeking God today. I pray that will be everybody's life, all starting with us, Lord, all our lives, one day at a time. We'll allow the Holy Spirit to do it. And then we will only grow from strength to strength. And our inward man only from glory to glory. And it doesn't matter if the outward man is perishing. Because there's an inward reality with which we are living that bursts forth into song. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to leave our young ones at the altar. They are safe there. It's only one place our children will be safe. It's at your altar. Help us to be wise like that swallow. Leave our children there. And do everything else with them after leaving them there. Because you will tell us concerning our children too. Thank you, Father. Bless your people in your name. The hand of God rests upon everyone in their homes. The fathers, the mothers, the little ones, the grandparents, every one of them. Let your hand rest upon every one of them. Them know the strength of God's hand upon their lives. Let no one fear. No one fear. Because we are all on this journey going home. Home to our Isaac, to our Abraham. We are on this journey. And Eliezer is taking us. And the Holy Spirit has never, ever failed anyone. Everyone who has trusted him, he has reached them home. So we put our hands in his hands and we walk with him. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, thank you, thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Not just the counsel, but also the comfort of the Holy Spirit we have each day. Thank you, Lord. And it is that comfort I leave your people with. Your comfort, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the constant and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.